0: Tonight's sermon text is found in John chapter 6, verses 16 to 29. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are, not, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent.
1: Let's pray. Father, many things now are on our minds. 12 soldiers dead at the hands of a comrade, 31 wounded. The bloody friendly fire in Afghanistan, 10.2% unemployment, 38 million. Shots of H1N1 vaccine, perhaps ready to go. And then the 10,000 personal burdens that we bring. So now I ask that your word would have great power, that it will touch. A thousand ways that I cannot even think to pray about because it is your word. And so draw near and fill me with your Holy Spirit and make this word live a living, sharp, two edged sword that's meant for surgery and not for slaying. So come. Do your mighty work in every heart and mind and body and family that's represented in the hearing of my voice, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. What do wind and hunger have to do with each other? One answer is... If you have enough of either of them, they can kill you. If you're in the wilderness and no access to food, if you have enough hunger, it will kill you. If you're on the sea with no access to land and you have enough wind, it will kill you. One of my fondest happiest memories as a teenager was the yearly vacation to Florida with my father and my mother and my sister. And the high point of every week or ten days in Florida was deep sea fishing with my dad. And one day we, uh, along with three or four others, rented a trawler it's the kind where you about eight people go out, and uh, the boat has four seats at the back, and the rigs are fixed so that if you lock onto a really big one, it won't be jerked out of your hands, fastened to the boat, and then takes you half an hour to pull it in. And it, we were totally out, out, out of sight of land, and it began to rain, very dark, and it began to rain harder and harder. And I thought, this feels dangerous to me. And we were gathered under the canopy there. And I asked the the captain, I said, is this dangerous? And I'll never forget his answer. He said, no. The only thing that's dangerous is wind. Because wind makes waves. The rain, it just went right off the floor of the boat. He wasn't the least concerned about rain. But had wind made 20, 30, 40-foot waves, with this little boat, no competition. Wind can kill you if there's enough of it, and so can hunger. If hunger is about to kill you in the wilderness... You could be saved by someone who could make bread. And if wind is about to kill you on the sea, you could be saved by someone who could walk on water. Let me review with you where we are in this text. The last time we saw, verses 1 to 15, that Jesus took five barley loaves and a few fish gave thanks to God, and he fed at least 5,000 people with that. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And we said that the ultimate point of those verses, as is made clear in the rest of the chapter especially, is that Jesus was pointing to himself as the bread of heaven. He didn't come into the world just to give bread, He came into the world to be bread. He didn't just come to satisfy already existing appetites. He came to awaken a brand new, deeper, longer appetite for Himself, and then to satisfy it forever with His glorious presence in our lives. That's the point of verses 1 to 15, and they did not see it. Verse 26 in today's text makes clear why. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, that is, they didn't see through the signs to the meaning, but because you ate your fill of loaves. And so they were about to come and make him king. He will be a very useful king. I mean, who wouldn't want a king who could fill your belly anytime you got hungry by just praying or snapping his finger? What a king this would be! So useful. Jesus did not come into the world to be useful, He came to feed our souls with Himself. He didn't come just to be the bellhop of our bellies. So that was a big issue last time, and I hope that you received it. I'm still pressing in on the Lord earnestly that He will help me at age 63 to Taste and see that He is good. Don't make a mistake. God cares about your body. Big time. He simply didn't come to fix all that in this age. He cares 10 million times more about your soul. And about your everlasting life. And about the resurrection from the dead at the last day. When this old body will rise and be made new. And we will, what does it say in the fighter verse? He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. Neither mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things will have passed away. Oh, he cares about crying. He cares about tears. He cares about leukemia. He cares about cancer. He cares about sore throats. He cares about depression. He cares about these things, but He cares a 10 million times more about what becomes of us forever. We just have to keep these things balanced right. Right? And your eternity is ten thousand, 10, ten million, pick a number times more important than whether you get well now. What matters is that you get well eventually and stay well forever, satisfied not mainly by his gifts, but by himself. This is eternal life that they might know you, the only God and the one whom you have sent. No, He cares. But in a certain order, both in priority and time, He will make you well. Yes, He will. In due time. Every one of you who trusts Him. So He cares about your body and He is coming To make that right. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, meaning all those things we experience... As it is written, we are being killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all those things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us because He's not going to let anything separate us from Him. We'll get well in due time. He will be useful to us in making us whole. But now, the number one issue is is He your bread? Not does He give bread. Jesus didn't come into the world mainly to deliver us from the sufferings of this present time. He came mainly to deliver us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 He came not to give us an easy life, but an eternal life. And when they wanted to make him a belly-filling king, he walked away from them. Don't let him walk away from you." Later that evening, verse 16, later that evening, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark. Jesus had not yet come to them. He had gone up into the mountain. He had just disappeared by himself and they they were going to go back home. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed 3 or 4 miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And then they were glad to take him in the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. One of the remarkable things about this second miracle in chapter 6 of Jesus walking on the water and the disciples being rescued from their difficult situation and strangely being immediately safe in their desired haven, one of the remarkable things is that nothing is made of it in the rest of this gospel, neither the chapter nor the gospel, nothing. It just ends and is gone, totally. What what makes that striking is the way John builds his gospel, and we're seeing it here in chapter 6 especially, is that an unusual sign happens, like the feeding of the 5,000, and then it, it issues in a long dialogue, 71 verses here, and it's all about the feeding of the 5,000. So John has chosen to take the feeding of the 5,000 and build an entire chapter around it, all about bread from heaven. That doesn't happen with this miracle. This miracle is in chapter 6 as part of the other one. Which causes us to ask questions about okay, what's the point here? How does this work? What does John want us to get from this miracle He's not setting the stage for a new dialogue all about the power to turn water into something substantial and be there for you and walk on it and conquer nature. Just not doing any of that here. This miracle is serving the bread miracle. This miracle is serving the purposes of chapter 6. It doesn't stand on its own. And so we need to ask Alright, how's it doing that? How does this story about Jesus walking on water fit into the other, the point of chapter 6 which is all about bread? How does wind have to do with bread? Now here's a clue. So far as we know, the people for whom he made the bread and who show up later in a synagogue and they talk for Fifty verses. As far as we know, these people don't know anything about this miracle. The disciples don't say anything about it. Jesus doesn't say anything about it. They don't hear about it. It's gone. What should that tell us? It wasn't for them. Who was it for? It was for the disciples and for you. John is an inspired spokesman, he knew, was part of this miracle, it meant something very powerful to him, and now he's going to put it in the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and the unpacking of the meaning of the bread of heaven for you now in this service. So. I'm going to connect it. This is my take on what's going on here. It must emphasize something, underline something that has been in the other miracle and that he wants to reiterate, press in on. Now, Here's one of the details from the text last week that we didn't say anything about. If we did, it was quick and passing. In verse 12, Jesus said to His disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Now, Verse 13 says something that surely is more than mathematical in significance. It says, so they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Why twelve? Why draw attention to twelve? Well, in this chapter, verses 67 and 70, Jesus calls His disciples the twelve. There were twelve of them. He calls them the twelve. I don't think it's any coincidence that when He tells them, that we've just given and given and given until we thought we could give no more. Now, gather up. They're all full. Ministry's over. Gather up the leftovers. And every single ministering apostle had a basket, a whole basket. Now, don't think offering basket here. That's tiny. My guess is it's one of these arched handles, big, like this, big fish and bread and pieces. It's a big basket, perhaps. We don't know how big it was but 12 of them. So what's the point of that? I'll always be there for you, supplying your need. You give and give and give and give in your life. You give and give and give in your ministry. Until you think you can give no more, I will take care of you. I will be enough for you. Because remember... It's not that he gives bread, but that he is bread. So they have a big basket of fragments of bread. I'm there for you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You think you have just shared me and shared me and shared me and shared me and poured out your life. I will always be more than enough for you. The more you satisfy others, the more I will be your satisfaction. The more you give bread to the world, the more I will be your satisfying bread. The more you give life to others, the more I will be life for you. I think that's what's going on with the (coughs) twelve baskets left over. I think that's what he's now clarifying in the the walking on water miracle so let's let's see if you think that's the case verse 17 it's now dark it was now dark and jesus had not yet come to them so here we have a picture dark windy storm no jesus They're in the dark, they're in a storm, they're bereft of Jesus right after a miracle whose point was, I will be your life, I will be your bread, I will always be enough for you. Now their life is imperiled not by hunger but by wind. Verse 18, the sea became rough because of a strong wind that was blowing and this time he does not give 12 baskets of miracle bread he gives them the miracle of his presence when they thought there is no way absolutely no way he could be here we left him on the shore in the mountain and now we're three miles into the water And there's no way he could be for us what we need here. And the reason I think the focus is on the presence of Jesus is that John makes zero comment about the stilling of the storm, unlike the other Gospels. Did the storm stop? He doesn't tell us. Did the waves stop rolling under the boat? Doesn't tell us. Did the wind stop? Doesn't tell us. Listen to what it says. Start at verse 19. They saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But they said he said to them, It is I do not be afraid. And they were glad. They desired to take him into the boat. And immediately, this story is over and never to be mentioned again in the gospel. They're at their desired haven. It's over. Doesn't matter whether the storm stopped, doesn't matter whether the wind stopped, doesn't matter whether the rain stopped. What matters is he's in the boat. And we are where we wanted to be. That's the way John tells the story. He's like bread to us, he's like life to us. No comment on the authority that he has over the wind and the waves. No comment on him being an all providing king. He can not only make bread, he can make water hold you up. What a king, yes. Let's get the king again. Nothing like that. Just, we, we were glad. We were glad to have him in the boat. And immediately, this story is over. And they are in their haven. Such it will be in eternity. It will feel that way to us, I believe. We had Jesus. And immediately we have eternity. We'll look back on this brief, light, momentary affliction, and it will be as nothing compared to what it's like to have Jesus in our boat forever. So the point has been made twice now. I did a miracle for you on the land and gave each of you a basket of bread. You didn't know how. You don't know how I supplied you. I just supply you. And tonight, today, you don't think it can really happen. He can't be for you all you need in this unbelievably difficult situation. But they had it. A big basket of bread for each one of you if you have an overwhelming ministry in front of you to feed 5,000 people feeling totally inadequate, I don't have the resources to feed 5,000 people, He will be there for you. And when you have spent yourself to the max, bread will be waiting. And it will be mainly Him. And now... I've done another miracle for you. I have shown you that in the dark, in the storm, I will not let anything separate me from you. I will walk on water to be with you. I will do whatever it takes to be near you, to be in your boat when you need me. And when you take me into your boat with joy we will have immediately arrived at our desired haven. Very mysterious, and I think it's meant to be very mysterious. What really happened at that moment, we're not told. Just, that's the end of the story, and they are where they need to be, and he's in the boat. So, whether the story is about being rescued from hunger by being by making bread or being rescued from wind by walking on water. The point is, I don't just give bread, I am bread. I don't just make wind stop, I get in the boat. Now, at this point in my preparation, I realized a common fact that my plan had shattered on the rocks of reality. And that I wasn't going to get to the verse after which I named the entire sermon. (laughs) So that's going to be the name of next week's sermon. (laughs) Same name, just chuck wherever you are. Same title. Um, I'm not sure how much of the text we'll read. Because I looked at my clock, I looked at how long this takes... And I said, okay, I've got a little bit of time left but not that much time because that's the whole point of the sermon. And now I've just made another point. And so how about just let this point stand and, and close with an application. So that's what I'm going to do. And I feel that it's of God that he, he gave me this because I wanted really bad last week to make an application from those 12 baskets. And I thought that wasn't going to fit there. So let's push that one over into this week. And, and so I'm going to close with an application to your life and our life as a church of what I've just been saying. Just to keep your interest up, I hope, I will address this question from verse 20, what is it, 27. Do not labor for the food that perishes. Really, Jesus? You want these people to quit their jobs? What does he mean by that? What's the negative half of this statement mean? Labor for the bread. And then the positive side, labor for the bread that endures to eternal life. Really, I thought that was free. So we've got problems in both halves of this verse. Quit your jobs and earn your salvation. (laughs) So I don't believe Jesus says bad things like that. So I hope you'll come back because that's what I'll try to explain next time, but we really do have a few more minutes, and, and I, I want you to, to be helped by this application, and I want us as a church to be helped by this application. So here's the application. It has to do with money and the way the ministry and the mission of our church and your life um, is funded and supported. So think of your life individually and how how it's supported by money, and think of the life of this church and how it's supported in part by money, and see if this text doesn't help you and us in these matters. The budget of Bethlehem, um, what it costs to do this church right now is about eight and a half million dollars a year. That's where we are right now in our, our growth, Eight and a half. Million dollars, roughly. There's another stream of income to this church called Treasuring Christ Together. If you have your worship folder, it, if you look at uh, page right inside that column there, just so happens that Treasuring Christ Together today, and you see in that top paragraph that what Treasuring Christ to, Together pays for is campuses, mainly buildings, north, and we hope south soon new churches, and the global diaconate. So church planting, the global diaconate, the poorest of the poor, and there's the report about what that money's been spent for, <coughs> and paying off the uh, the debt and purchasing new campuses. That's a totally separate stream of income. There's a lot of confusion about this. Let me say it as simply as I can. On your uh, on your envelope, if you use envelopes, if you're a church member, you might want to consider these. Uh, there's the first line, church and missions. That's the $8.5 million, roughly, that it takes to run everything that we do as a church. And then the Treasure in Christ together is a separate stream, like a capital fund that we tax ourselves on. 80% of it goes to pay down the buildings and 10% goes to the poorest of the poor around the world, and 10% goes to church planting. That's just the way we do it. So if you just throw money in the basket, none of it goes to TCT. It all goes to the church budget. If you just put the top line, none of it goes to TCT. You have to designate if you want money to go to treasuring Christ together. And I hope all the members of our church are doing both as the Lord leads To meet um, our church and mission expenses this year, we need about $8.4 million. Our budget is well over that. Uh, John Grano and the team have done very well in a very difficult year of holding expenses down. So it's about $8.4 million that's needed for the total of this year. You have given, as of last Sunday, $6.4 million. About 3% ahead of last year. Very, very significant. And I thank you for it in a very difficult economic season. Uh, therefore, what's left to give after last Sunday's giving is about $2 million. Now, you gave um, $1.9 million in November and December last year. We needed 2.2 in November and December this year. You just gave 0.2 of that last Sunday. So we need about 2 million dollars to go. That's the biggest challenge we've ever we've ever faced, I think, probably as a church to end the year in the black just to meet expenses, not to meet budget. Now let's go to Jesus. <clears throat> what Jesus says and does in this text relates to um, our church budget and your family budget. The church has needs for its life and ministry. You have needs for your life and ministry. The way God provides for the needs of the church is through your giving. It's the only way money happens, the only way ministry happens. And the way your needs get provided is by your work, through your work. God blesses your work and you have income. Or somehow, over time, your work has accumulated. And now in retirement, there's work being paid after the fact. The way he provides for us is your gifts. The way he provides for you is your work. What Jesus shows us today in these two miracles here is this. There is no ministry for Christ's sake and no storm in Christ's service where every need will not be supplied, above all the need for himself. Let me say that again. There is no ministry in Christ's service for Christ's sake, and I mean Your family ministry, your job ministry, your church ministry. I see all of life as ministry. There is no ministry for Christ's sake and no storm into which you come. And many of you are in heavy storms in which every need that you have will not be supplied, especially the need for Jesus himself. As you pour yourself out in ministry, at home, and at work, and in the church, and I'm calling all of that ministry, there will be a basket for you. There will. There will be a basket left over for you. You cannot outgive God. He won't make you rich, but He will meet your need. When you are overtaken in this life, in this ministry, by storms, He comes to you. He gets in the boat with you. And he sees to it that you arrive at your appointed haven without fail. And because of those promises, to give what we need, especially himself, we can be, will be, you have been, very generous, very risk-taking. Why did they go out? At night to cross the lake. I mean, that's crazy. Wait until the morning. Jesus might show up, and I don't know why, but I'm not going to fault them. Jesus didn't either. Maybe there were good reasons. Maybe there was a need in Capernaum in the morning, and it was worth risking a night rowing. Life is like that. So, Let me just close by reminding you how Paul did what I'm trying to do right now. I'm trying to motivate you to give $2 million. Um, Joyfully and for the glory of Christ. Now, Paul did this over and over again in the New Testament. So I, I watch real carefully how he does this. Because I want to do it the way Paul does it. He does it in 2 Corinthians 9. And he does it in Philippians 4 most explicitly. And he does it exactly like this story suggests we should do it. He argues, for example, in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. In other words, he argues from God's amazing being bread for us, all sufficient for us, that we will now be able to provide for every good work. There is no good work God expects you to do for which he will not give the supply. None. And then in Philippians chapter 4, he's just so brimming with gratitude to the Philippians because they've sent him help by Epaphroditus and it was money help. And after he says, I've been well supplied, I'm overflowing with gratitude, your gift is a sweet smelling sacrifice to God. He says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. In other words, it's going to be a basket for you. You cannot outgive God. He's saying, "My God will supply every need of yours." I think we can say that about Bethlehem. I don't lose any sleep over these year-end hockey stick, whatever they call them. You know, where the budget's going like this, and they go at the end of the year, and we wonder, will it will it do that this year? Will people give two million dollars in the last eight weeks this year? A quarter of the budget in the last two months of the year? Will they really? I don't lose any sleep over that because I have a promise. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That is valid for Bethlehem and that is valid for your home. I don't know for sure if we'll make it to the the expenses. I think we will, but he'll give us what we need. If he wants to let us go short, he has his purposes. We'll learn from them. If he wants to blow us over the top, he has his purposes. We'll learn from them. We're going to go with God. My job is simply to try to lift you uh, out of selfishness and out of self-preservation into generosity and risk-taking on the basis of solid Jesus-type promises, which is what I've tried to do in these last five minutes of this sermon. So I'm asking and I'm exhorting as your pastor that on behalf of Christ... If this church is your home, if you're a visitor here tonight, you say, oh, I didn't know we we're going to get this. Well, you're not getting it. I don't expect you to give a dime to this church. Happily on your way or come back and you don't pay anything. It's the family. It's the family. There are about five to 6,000 folks who show up here regularly. 2,000 of them don't give anything. I'm not sure what to say about you, um, you're not members, probably, and and you just work this out for yourself. I expect those who say, this is us, this is our church, this is family, those are the people I expect to be listening to me very carefully right now and asking, is it biblical what he's saying and is what he's calling us to do for the glory of God? And what I'm asking you to do is give yourself, give money, risk storms in the remainder of 2009 in a way that magnifies Jesus as the one who creates bread and walks on water, and more importantly, is bread and gets in the boat. Let me say that one more time and then I'll pray. I'm asking you as your pastor and shepherd to... Engage in a joyful generosity and risk-taking, corporately, individually, in a way that magnifies Jesus as the one who gives bread and walks on water. But more importantly, way more importantly, the one who is bread and gets in the boat. So, Father, having said what I I wanted to say last week, I feel happy that you've let me make this little application here at the end. And I pray that it has broad application. For there's some people here who are saying, I would give anything if I could give to the church. And I haven't had a job for nine months. So, Lord, may no one feel put upon May they know that the storm of unemployment has its appointed purposes right now. And you will get into the boat with them and they will arrive at their designed haven in due time. Yes, quickly. So Father, draw near. Meet every need this church has and meet every need that your giving people have. I pray especially the need for yourself. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.